There's a story about Albert Einstein who, uh, who once he developed the theory of relativity, was doing a tour around the states. He was giving lectures all over the states on the theory of relativity. And his chauffeur drove him to every city. And after about 50 or 60 cities, the chauffeur had sat at the back of all the lectures. And he turned to Albert Einstein one day and he said, he said you know what, Albert? I have listened to this lecture so often now that I think I could give it myself. And so they were going to a city where, uh, obviously, media was different in those days. His face wasn't well known, his name was, where not a lot of people knew Albert Einstein. And he said, well, here's your chance. I'll sit at the back, and Mr. Chauffeur, you give the lecture. And so he did, Albert Einstein sat at the back of the lecture theatre. The chauffeur, he, he wore the chauffeur's hat at the back. The chauffeur got up and did the lecture perfectly. At the end, everybody applauded, and he was feeling really proud of himself. Until he was stepping off the stage and a research student put up his hand and asked him a really difficult question. And he panicked for a second and he stopped and he went, Son, I hate to say this, but that question is so simple that even my chauffeur at the back could answer that. I'm going to have him come up now and answer that question. Sometimes we come to the end of ourselves, don't we? Sometimes, no matter how much we think we know or can do, we run out of options. We just don't have enough wisdom, ingenuity, or ability. And we meet a woman in Second Kings who's in that place. She's come to the end of herself. She has no other options left. She, she is at the end of her rope, and she doesn't know what to do. Let's read the first verse. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. When a wife says her husband reveres the Lord, it's probably true. Uh, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And so suddenly in this scene, we enter the life of a woman. We don't know her name. We don't know much about her. But we know she's in a desperate and despairing situation. Elisha, who is uh, the chief prophet at that time, remember there was Elijah. He passed on his mantle, his, his anointing, if you like, to Elisha. So Elisha is the main prophet in Israel at that time. And we don't know if he's passing through or she's called for him. But he ends up, he finds himself in the middle of this mess. He finds himself with this woman crying out to him and dumping basically this huge problem on him. And sometimes that happens in life, doesn't it? You know, you think you're meeting a friend for a casual coffee and you get there and they start telling you about that they've just found out that their spouse is cheating or they've just found out that they've got some uh, incurable disease. And suddenly in that moment, you're like, I don't know what, I, 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 I just don't know what to do here. I, I don't know how to, that happens a lot in my job where people will, 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 don't, will pour out all, a massive problem and, and just look at me and go fix it. And in that moment, you need to know two things. You need to know, one, you can't fix it, and two, you know someone who can. Okay, and that's, that's great comfort for someone like me, that I don't have to fix it, but I do know someone who can. And so Elisha finds himself in this moment where he encounters this woman, this widow, this woman who has two sons and her husband has died, and she has nothing. She's in debt, and she actually says, you know what, I'm in so much debt 
that the, 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 the creditors are going to come and take my sons away. A bit like that program, Can't Pay, We'll Take It Away. You know, Can't Pay, We're Going to Take Your Two Sons Away. And that was actually a practice at that time that if you couldn't pay your debt, they would come and take your children and they would keep them until you did. And they could be kept for up to six years in that culture. So she's in this desperate state. She's in this horrible state. And you know what? I always read this and I kind of thought to myself, oh, poor woman, she's got into debt. You know, she can't look after her kids. But there's a wee bit of a sort of, like, a sense of, could she not have seen this coming? You know, could she not have prepared for this? But actually, I was reading the commentaries over the last few days. And you know what I discovered? Jewish historians tell us that this woman was the wife of a guy called Obadiah. Obadiah worked for King Ahab in the courts of King Ahab during the time of Elijah. At a time when Jezebel, you remember that lovely woman Jezebel? Jezebel was killing all of God's prophets. You can read about this in 1 Kings 18. You know what Obadiah did? Obadiah smuggled out 100 prophets and hid them to keep them alive. And he used his own money, his own resources to look after them and to feed them. He even borrowed money, the historians say. And that's why he's in debt. Does not put a different slant on the story. I used to think this guy was bad for not having life insurance. The guy was a hero. The guy was a, a man of God. And, and so he has borrowed this money, he has spent his money, he assumes that he'll be able to pay it back, but then he obviously gets some incurable disease and dies young. Because he's younger than Elisha. Elisha's the teacher, Elisha's the mentor, he's the mentee, he's the student. So he has died young, he's died unexpectedly. And obviously his children are too young to work, otherwise they would be able to go out and work and pay the bills. So you've got this woman in an absolute, desperate, dire predicament. She doesn't know where to turn. She doesn't know what to do. Just a few things I want you to see from this. First thing is this. When we meet people, just like we've met this woman, we meet them at a moment of their life. We don't know about her past. She was probably very comfortable at one stage. She had a loving husband, a godly husband, provided for his family, and then suddenly she has found herself in this desperate state. And when you first meet someone you get a slice of their life. or You get a little crumb of their life. And very often what we do is we judge people by that little glimpse we get of their life without knowing anything about where they've come from, without knowing about anything about what has happened to them, without knowing anything about their history. We're getting just a small slice of her life here. And at first glance, she seems like a poor widow who doesn't know how to handle money. But then we learn that her husband was a hero. We learn that there's a backstory. We learn that this was not the way it always was. And you know, sometimes I think we need to have a little bit more grace when we meet people. We need to ask questions like, "Tell me about yourself. Tell me about. Tell me your story." I remember years ago we did a when we were in Dublin we did a a Christmas dinner. There was a homeless shelter a hundred meters up the street from the church, and we decided we would do a Christmas dinner. A five-course meal for a hundred homeless people. And I remember in that evening as we sat around the table, I went round a lot of them and I, I, just, I would just say, tell me your story. 
Because when you think of homeless people, you think about the guy on the street with a bottle of whiskey or Buckfast or whatever he's drinking. And I sat down beside a guy and I said, tell me your story. And he said, you know what, I live with my mum. My mum got elderly. I looked after her. She died and they took our house. I couldn't, didn't have enough money to rent a house because I was my mum's carer. I, I, I didn't have a job. I couldn't get a job. I, the rents are so high in Dublin. And so I ended up on the street. I thought, that could be me. That could be you. That could be any of us. And it's amazing as I went round and heard their stories. When you hear people's stories, you become more compassionate. You become more understanding. You become less judgmental. You see, we see people at a slice of their story, but we don't see the whole cake. And we often judge people by one chapter of their life rather than the whole book. And I want to even say to you that you might be in a rubbish chapter right now, but it's not the whole book. You might be in a bad paragraph or a bad chapter right now, but that is not the whole book. This woman, we made her in a bad paragraph of her story, but it is not the whole story. The second thing is this. Everyone has their own form of emptiness. For this woman, her life was empty. Her husband was dead. Her home was empty of food. She, she, her, her, she was in debt. Her life was empty. And then very next story in Second Kings, Elisha goes to the house of a wealthy woman. She's so wealthy. Do you know what she does? She builds an extension on the house just in case Elisha wants to stop by now and again so that there's a spare room. That's how wealthy she was. She's got a husband. And so she seems to have it all. But you know what she doesn't have? A son, a child. The thing that she wants most. You, some of you will know her as the Shunammite woman. She wants a child. She wants a son. And so on the surface, she seems to have it all, but she's got an emptiness. And do you know what I've discovered? We're all empty in some place. Some just are more obvious than others. The woman whose sons were about to be taken away, that was an obvious emptiness. The woman who lived in the big house with, an, with, a, with a, a rich husband, it looked like she had it all together, and yet she was empty. And you can be rich in one part of your life and empty in another. You can be rich in your job or your finances, but poor in friendships. You can be wealthy in your health, but poor financially. You can be wealthy in relationships, but poor in some other area of your life. And we look at people who are rich in the area that we are poor and we think they've got it better than us and we don't realize that actually probably they have a poverty where we have a plenty. You can be full materially, but empty of love. And so because someone is full where you're empty, don't assume that they have life so much better than you. Elisha replied to her, we need to keep going here because I know I have just so much and yeah, we'll be done by midnight. Uh, no, we won't, I promise you. If you're watching online, don't log off. <laughs> Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? <laughs> I love Elisha, such a bloke. She's just poured out her heart. I have no money, they're going to take my two sons. He doesn't give her a hug and sit down and talk for an hour. He's a fixer, he's a bloke. How can I help you? Tell me what can I do? And he says, actually, before she even can respond, he says, tell me what you have in your house. Like, Elisha, that's a bit of a rude question. She has just told you she's got nothing in her house. Like, that's the whole point. If she had something in her house, she would sell it on eBay or Gumtree and she would be fine. She has zilts, nada, zero in her house. 
Why is he asking her what he, she has in her house? Have you not been listening? But Elisha knows something. Elisha knows that God always starts with what we have. And she says, I've got nothing. That's how she starts her sentence because that's become her mantra. That's become the, the statement of her life. I have nothing. I have nothing. I have no husband. I'm about to do her. I have nothing. And I can imagine that she said, I have nothing. Elisha looked at her and raised her, his eyebrows a little bit and went, really? And then she finishes it and goes, well, well I have nothing at all except, except a small jar of olive oil. I have nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. I have nothing. Her mind was completely focused on her lack. Her mind was completely focused on her loss. Her mind was completely focused on her inadequacy and deficiency. And how often do we do that? I don't know about you, but I am so much more aware of what I lack than what I have. I am so much more aware of my weaknesses than than my strengths. If I were to sit down with you, and if I were to say to you, tell me where you're really bad or what you're not good at, you, you know, I would have to prize myself away from you an hour later. You would be able to tell me 120 things that you're not good at. If I sat down with you and said, what are you really good at? Nothing. No, no, t- like, tell me what you're good at. Nothing. Because most of us are really good at pointing to our deficiencies and our inadequacies and our insecurities than we are at actually realizing what God has put in our lives. It's very easy to only focus on what you've lost because that's where you feel pain. And right now in this lockdown, it's very easy to focus on what we lack, on what we have lost. Whether that be just freedom to move, holidays for some of you as loved ones for some of you uh, you've lost uh, money in your business for some of you you're struggling financially for some of you you're in furlough for some of you you're about to lose your mind because you're homeschooling your kids I mean what a week for half term did it just feel like every other week of your life um like like we can focus right now and it would be really easy every time Arlene and the person, the other one. Um, what's her name? I'm sorry. I was, I'm not trying to be rude. Michelle. Michelle. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not. It's just they said the same thing in every press conference, so I only watch half of it. Um, I just love watching the comments, if I'm being honest. Uh, but uh, every time they do a press and Robin Swan, I mean, if anyone's going to make your heart sink, it's Robin. Let's just be honest. Like, um, I don't think he's going to be a member here anytime soon. But, uh, but, but uh, we pray for them and we bless them. But, but every time, you know, you, you just you get so aware of what you've lost, what you've lacked, what you're missing. But that's not what Elisha asks. He doesn't say, what have you lost? He doesn't say, who has died? He doesn't ask, what have you not got? He says, what have you got? And I think some of us right now need to change the question in our minds, need to reframe our thinking, and instead of thinking, what do we lack, we need to start asking, what do you have? What do you still have? I know that your business is closed, but what do you still have? Nothing. Really? Really? You've got nothing? I know that you haven't had your three holidays this year, but what do you have? 
I know that you're fed up and you're miserable and you're sick of it, but what do you have? Nothing. I have nothing. That's what her response is. And if you were to say to me, I have nothing, I would say, so you don't have a roof over your head? So you don't have a home, so you don't have heat, so you don't have a TV, so you don't have friends, so you don't have a family, so you don't have car, so you don't have Netflix, so you don't have internet. You have got more than 98% of the rest of the planet. I have nothing. You have so much. And I just think we need to reframe that in our minds because at a time like this, we can get inwards and, and start to only think about what we have lost. And God would say, yes, you have lost that, but you still have plenty. You know, God said something to me a few months ago. I was complaining about something. And God said this to me, Craig, people would kill to have your problems. And I said, that's really rude, God. (laughs) Some people would kill to have your problems because they're first world problems, you know. Oh, Lord, I'm just so, I'm so tired. Yeah. Have you been working on a coal mine for one dollar a day? No. Then don't talk about being tired, okay? Oh, Lord, I'm just, I'm so sick of this lockdown. Yeah? You've got a wife and and family. What about those people who have done that? Like, seriously, some people would love to have your problems. And this isn't a case of there's always somebody worse than you. But I do think we do need to reframe things sometimes in our minds. And instead of saying, I have not got, why don't you actually make a list this week of what you do have? I have, and I am thankful for what I have. She says, I have nothing at all, except, except. That's not even worth talking about. It's an afterthought, just a small jar of oil. Just a small jar of oil. Not worth mentioning, but our God always starts with a little. Just a small jar of oil. You know why sometimes we don't mention the small jar of oil? Because our neighbor has a barrel of oil. And we compare what we have to what our neighbor has, and it really isn't worth mentioning. Just a small jar of oil. What good is that? Especially in this world where there's so much comparison with social media, where we compare what the little we have with the much others have. Like, how depressing is, like, Instagram and Pinterest if you're a parent, you know? Like the mummy on Pinterest who, me and my son this week, we took a thousand pieces of rice and we painted each of them a different color and we made a mosaic. (laughs) And you're like, I didn't kill my son this week. That's a win. That is a win for me. Like seriously. And you know what we do at social media? We don't even get to see a slice of their life. We get to see a crumb of their life. And we compare our big, ugly, messy cake with our beautifully filtered crumb. And we think, my life is awful and I'm the worst parent ever. We don't know that their child probably choked on 14, you know, bits of that rice and got poisoned because of the pain. They don't tell us that bit because that's not nice for Pinterest. You know, at this time... Instead of looking at what you don't have or looking at what others have, look at what you do have. What, what, what do you still have in your life? What has God put in your life that you can be thankful for? Verses 3 and 4, we are nearly done. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you. 
and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. He says, go round your neighbors and ask for empty jars. <laughs> and she went, no, Elisha, that is not the problem. I don't need empty jars. I need full jars. Have you not been listening? I don't need more emptiness in my life. In case you hadn't noticed, my life is full of emptiness. I need something to be filled right now. But he can read her mind and he says, don't ask for just a few. Because he knows when you get into a mindset of lack and, and, and what you've lost, you don't expect much from life. And so he says to her, I want you to start expecting more. I want you to get a bunch of jars. If he came to our house, he would, they would have a field day. And my wife is laughing out loud for a reason. Because she collects jars. You think I'm the nutty one and she's the sensible one that she keeps things on an even keel? No. I think, I don't know if it's something she got from her family or what it is. Jam jars, any jars that you should throw out or recycle, she washes them and puts them in the cupboard. I rebuke that spirit of amen at the back. Like, just jars. Like, what are they for? Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff, jars, jars everywhere and not a thing in them. Go and get empty jars. They'd have come back and they'd have went, we don't need to go to any other neighbours. Been to the Coonies. Need a, need, need a truck. And then he says, he says, go in inside your house, shut the front door, start pouring oil. And as each jar is filled with that little bit of oil that you have, just set it to one side and then keep pouring. She left him and shut the door. There's something in that. He says, shut the door. She left him and shut the door. Some things we need to shut the door on. I'm sure her neighbors were going to go in and go, what are you doing? That's stupid. That's ridiculous. This is silly. You don't have anything. There's some voices of negativity that we just need to shut the front door on. Anyway. She shut the door behind her and her son's. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When the, all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he says, ma, there's none left. That's in the NIV, the Northern Ireland version. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I love this. Elisha tells her to go to her neighbours, but she sends her sons to do it because she's too mortified to do it herself. And then she begins to pour the little oil into the jar, thinking that, you know what, like I'll pour it in and that'll be it. But she pours it in and it fills in. Another jar. Another jar. Another jar. I can imagine her eyes were like saucers. You know, Another jar. Another jar. And this keeps happening. This keeps happening, and this keeps happening, and this keeps happening. And the jars are full, and the jars are full. As long as she keeps pouring, the oil keeps flowing. As long as she keeps pouring, the oil keeps flowing. As long as she keeps pouring, the oil keeps flowing. Why is the oil not flowing in some of our lives? Because we're not pouring. She had to initiate it. She had to take the step of faith. And when she did that, God added his supernatural to her natural and she saw a miracle. When did the oil stop flowing? When there were no more jars. 
when there was no more capacity. Do you know what that tells me? That the limitation was never on God's ability to supply. It was on her ability to receive. I was going to call this message how to receive from God. Because most of us bring a pint glass and ask for a gallon and wonder why we lack. If she would have had a hundred jars extra, how many would have been filled another hundred? If she would have had 20,000 extra jars, the oil would have kept flowing. As long as she created capacity for God to fill because the lack is never on his end. God never looks at Peter and goes, I think we're running out here, Peter. We need to get something. No, there is abundance in heaven. In fact, look at what it says. She had so much oil that she was able not only to, 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 to pay back her debts, but to sell it to her neighbors and live on the rest. God is not a God of just enough. God is not a God of breaking even. God is a God of abundance, of more than enough. And we need to understand that because we have a stingy view of God here in Northern Ireland. And I am not preaching prosperity theology because I know that's what some people will think. I'm preaching the word of God that says he is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. I would rather have a prosperity gospel and a poverty gospel than we've had in Northern Ireland. I don't believe either are right. But if I'm going to veer towards one, I'd rather believe in a good God who wants to bless his people than a God who just wants his people to just get by and live in poverty all the time. I just don't, I don't get that. It never says in this word, God blessed them and they were homeless. God blessed them and they increased. God blessed them and they had livestock. God blessed them. We need to break this poverty spirit that we have. Our God is not stingy. He is not tight. He says, if you build it, I will fill it. I am a God of abundance. I am a God of more than enough. Just give me space to work with and I will fill it because the limitation is never with me. I just, you know, there's always a few greedy people, but most people in Northern Ireland are better at giving than receiving. Like we just are. You lend, or somebody lends you something and you're always thinking of a way, when can I get it back to them? Somebody gives you something, how can I pay them back? Somebody gives you a gift, how can I you know, give them a gift next time? Like we struggle to receive gifts, we struggle to receive help. I don't want to inconvenience anyone. I don't want to put anyone out of their way. And we struggle to receive compliments, don't we? I love your top. Oh, this old thing? I've had it for ages, it's just a cheapie out of pre-mark. I didn't ask for a history of the top. <laughs> I just said I liked it. You're looking well. Oh, no, no I look terrible. <laughs> Actually, now that'll look at you from a different light. You're right, you're right. Your house is lovely. No, it's a mess. It's a real mess. You know, oh, your house is so beautiful. No, it's such a mess. And you're thinking, flip, compared to my house. Like, that's spotless. You did a great job today. No, I didn't. It was awful, really. Your hair is lovely. Did you get it done? I haven't washed it in days. You're like, <laughs> thank the Lord for social distancing in that moment, you know. Just, just say thank you. Thank you for the compliment. That's all you have to do. But we're awful at it. 
We're terrible at receiving from people and I think we're terrible at receiving from God. And that makes us set our expectations so low that we give him a teacup when he wants to pour a river. And we wonder why we lack. We wonder why we don't receive. We wonder why we don't have enough. And I know that this can be misinterpreted, but I just want us to raise our expectation of what a great God who has no lack can do in our lives. God is not stingy. God is not tight. He wants us to get so much more from him. But there's two prerequisites. And the first one is this. I'm finishing now. We start using what we have even if it seems like it's not enough. We start pouring out what we have, even if it feels like it's not enough. If you have a gift, use it. If you have a talent, develop it. If you have finances, give it. If you have a gift of encouragement, encourage. If you have a gift of leadership, lead. You know, Our mindset is this, when I have more, I will give more. When I have more, I will do more. When I have more money, I will tithe then. Do you know what that did? That got me into debt for most of my 20s. If you don't give when you don't have much, you'll never have much to give, (laughs) quite honestly. Here's just the way God works. And I've seen this time and time again. That when you hold on to it, that's all you have. But if you become a channel and a conduit, he just keeps pouring. He just keeps pouring. He just keeps pouring. That's what I've seen in this church. That's what I've seen in other churches that I've led. As long as we live with open hands and open hearts, he just keeps pouring. But when you start clinging on to what you've got, that's when the source stops. If you won't give 10% of your 100 pounds, don't think you're going to give 10% of your 1,000 pounds. It's just not going to happen. What have you got? When you start giving what you've got, it releases the flow, but it starts with you giving what you've got in terms of gifts, in terms of talents, in terms of finance, whatever it is. You start the flow and God keeps it flowing. That leads to the second prerequisite. And with this I finish. Create emptiness for God to fill. The oil stopped flowing when there was no more empty jars. God was willing to keep pouring, but he needed emptiness. And you know, as I read the the, the scriptures, I have discovered something that God is drawn to emptiness. We love fullness, but God loves emptiness. Remember the account in Genesis of creation? God formed it, and then what did he do? He filled it. Created Adam, he formed him from the dust, and then what did he do? They built the temple, it was empty, and then God filled it with his glory. We see it again and again and again. Our God is a God who loves emptiness. Because he says, when I find emptiness, I can pour myself into it. The problem is that most of us are too full with other stuff for God to pour himself into We're full of all the stuff of the world and all the cares and all the news and all the social media and all the stuff and all the stuff and all the stuff and God's going, just give me space. I want to pour into you. Be an empty vessel. Be a willing vessel. You know, I was thinking about when we started, when we arrived here three and a half years ago and there was loads of empty seats in the room and we used to go around, some of us, and pray over the empty seats. Remember that God would fill them? Some of you remember that. 
And then God filled the 11.30, or it was 10.30 at that stage. And so we added two services, and we had empty seats, and God filled it. You know, as we go to look for another building, I'm praying for hundreds of empty seats. I would love 400 empty seats. I'd like some people in the room as well, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm not just looking empty seats. You know why? Because emptiness invites God. If we, the, the, the empty seats are almost a, a, an indication of faith. Saying, God, you can fill these. God is drawn to emptiness. And maybe right now in your life, you're feeling empty. You're feeling empty of passion. You're feeling empty of joy. You're feeling empty of hope. And you think, that is not where I want to be. I want to tell you, God has sent you, that's exactly where I need you to be. Because when you're at your emptiest, I can't fill you. I can fill you. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. His ability to fill you depends on how empty you are of yourself. And so your emptiness is not a liability or a disability. It's an opportunity and an invitation. God, come fill me. It's not, are you full enough? It's, are you empty enough? And I really believe God wants to say that to some of you today and those watching online. That you are empty right now and you feel like that's the end. You feel like you're the end. You feel like, I actually felt the Lord speak to me as we were worshiping today that some people are, are just, they feel like they're not going to come back from this. And I want to say that the Lord is telling you, you won't come back as you were, you will come back as more than you were. This woman didn't get back to where she was, she got back to more than she had before. And some of you need that hope right now. In the midst of a difficult time. I want to say to you, your emptiness is an invitation for God to fill you. But you've got to be willing to be filled. And you've got to be willing to pour out the little that you have. The little that you have. And if you start pouring, he will start flowing. But he wants to lavish his abundant goodness onto your life. And our current Condition is not our permanent position. Because when God steps in, things change. And I am telling you, things are going to change. And we're not going back to pre-2020. We're going forward into so much more. So much more. If we build it, he will fill it. If we create the capacity, he will fill it. If we open up our hearts, he will fill them. But it begins with us going, God, come and fill me.